Okay. So our text for today, just for clarity, is John 18. Um, I might just pray, and uh, then we'll start. Lord, thank you uh, for this time, this opportunity to pray. Just a moment to um, assess where our thoughts are. Uh, give us a moment to uh, just uh, pacify our souls and our hearts and uh, help us to focus on what you would have um, for us this evening. Pray that you please be with me. Um, please guide my thoughts. Please direct me with the things you've laid upon my mind and my heart and I pray that they may not be just things that are my opinions but rather that they may be things that come from your word that the people of God may be blessed with what you have to say and not me and just pray that you'd please guide us Lord use the example of Peter that we have for tonight uh, a zealous man a passionate man a man that definitely loves you, a man that definitely knew you, um, but Lord is quite misguided around how he presented himself, how he carried himself, and thank you for taking the time to teach him many lessons um, that he may be used mightily of you uh, later on in his life. Father, pray you please guide us now and instruct, instruct us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to give you some news that might come as a bit of a shock to you. Um, apparently, I was a little rascal when I was little. Um, yes, that's what I said. You would not believe it. The source of this information is quite questionable. My mum and dad don't believe them. No, they are very right, apparently. Um, for me, something that I loved to do when I was little was to do things. Um, part of the problem was I didn't think of the consequences of those things that I was doing. So most of the time I was either getting in trouble or doing something outrageous on my bike. Um, and because of that, because I didn't listen to what mum and dad had to say and, you know, their, I mean, I was going to say whining, but their advice, um, I suffered a lot. I've got scars and bruises, heartaches and memories that I would rather get rid of but they're there. Um, I wish I'd listened to my mum and dad. Um, and that's part of the reason why my dad's bald. That's just between us, right? Um, but hindsight is a wonderful thing because as I think back, I wish I had listened a lot better. I wish I had listened to the advice, the things that they were trying to help me to understand. As I was going through these lessons in life, because I thought I had the answers, because I wanted to work them out my own way. I wanted to be my own man. Um, but in fact, I was a little boy trying to work out things that men should only be dealing with. Um, and those lessons that I tried to work out left a lot of scars in my heart, left a lot of pain and sorrow in my family. And I guess that's what this message is about tonight, not about my family. <laughs> but about those type of things that we suffer with, that we carry, that we hold, that maybe we didn't really need to, or we just weren't listening to the right person. Um, it's essentially tonight about a man who loves God and how God wanted to help him to become the man that God wanted him to be. 
rather than the man that we want to be. This man that Peter, as you will see, is going to be exposed. Uh, his flaws are going to be seen. Um, and he'll be leaving him to consider, that is the Lord, um, about those flaws and the heartache of those flaws and why he needs to change. The way we're going to proceed through this message is we're going to consider some of the interactions that Peter had with Jesus, with the disciples, and try and understand a bit about Peter and how Jesus reached him and was patient with him because Jesus had a specific plan for Peter. So that's the gist of what we're going through tonight. Um, Peter, the visionary. If you have your Bible and you turn to John chapter 6 and we read verse 68, very short <clears throat> part of the verse, um, and they're talking about, um, Lord, to whom shall we go? Um, it's clear that Peter had a grasp of the gospel message. He understood what it meant. He understood who it came from. He understood the importance of it. In John chapter 6, Jesus was teaching around the person of Jesus and his need to go to the cross. Now, he often mentioned this to the disciples. He was often telling them that I must go to the cross, that I must suffer. Uh, and that wasn't a message that they really wanted to receive or hear. Why would the Messiah, who had come to save us from all things, tell us that now he's going to go? No, this doesn't make sense. And at that time in John chapter 6, there were two different groups that were listening on. There were the Jews and Jesus' followers. The Jews who were listening found this message quite offensive. They weren't very happy with what they were hearing. In fact, they asked and they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? As if to say, it's just this guy Jesus who's down the road. Like, I mean, he's not really anyone special. What's he claiming to be? Who's he claiming to be? How can he have come from heaven if he has come from Mary and Joseph? This doesn't make sense. And the Jews were really confused. The disciples were also confused around the same conversation they didn't understand the statements that jesus was making and jesus then went on to ask them because obviously a lot of the jews walked away and then some of his own followers walked away and then jesus asked the question will you also go away as in speaking to the disciples if you read the chapter you get a greater context of what is happening there um, and obviously peter being the brash and bold guy that he is, he puts up his hand and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. In other words, why are we going to leave you? Why would I leave you? When you're the saviour, you've got all the answers. We need you here. We're not going anywhere. We're just going to follow you wherever you go. Now, there's an interesting word that Peter uses in this dialogue, and you find that in John chapter 6, verse 68, um, where he says... Thou hast the words of eternal life. And I think it's important that we understand or at least acknowledge that word because the explanation of his statement is why would we leave you when you're the one that has all the answers relating to who God is and how we can know him? 
The implication of this is that if Jesus is the one that has those deep answers, well then by default, Peter, you need to listen because he's the one that's got the answers. And Peter had a bit of a problem with listening to what the Lord had to say, as you will soon find out. In Matthew 16, if you can turn there, and verse 16, this is another um, opportunity where Peter is uh, speaking. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, on this occasion, Jesus asked the question, Whom do men, as in saying, who does, who does everyone out there say that I am? And the, dis the disciples responded, well, you know, there's a lot of chit-chat out there. There's a lot of confusion about who you are. But the Bible says that some of you say that you are John the Baptist. Some say Elias. Others, Jeremiah. And, or even just one of the prophets. Not sure which one, but some kind of a prophet. And Jesus was a master at captivating his audience. He was so good at dialoguing with people and getting answers from people. So what he did, he opened up the question to them and said, All right, what's everyone out there saying? What are they saying about who I am? And then he personalizes the question and he says to them, so, well, um, whom do you say that I am? As in the disciples. Who do you say that I am? Who am I? And of course, Peter, being the shy person that he is, kept quiet. No. Again, he puts up his hand and he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Which is a very, very deep answer within this one statement. In fact, the fact that he mentioned that he was the Christ, which is the Greek word Christos, literally translated is the anointed one, the Christ, God's anointed. We find the same idea of this in the Old Testament relating to the anointing of kings, of priests or prophets. And we read about this in 1 Samuel 24 where we get an example of how the word is used. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord." So David knew that Saul was appointed by God and respected that despite knowing that he was the rightful king. The idea here is not around how well Saul or King Saul was going, but rather how King Saul was appointed. The idea here is that this man has been given this job by God. I will respect that, irrespective of how badly he's going. But David had a very good understanding of this concept. The overriding biblical imagery of the word Messiah or Christ is that of a king chosen by God. Peter understood that. He knew this was the Messiah. Secondly, Peter affirms that Jesus is the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, God living and breathing and walking as a human among humans. This refers to the incarnation of of Jesus. Um, I was trying to explain this to little people and some of the words were a little complicated, not for them, for me. So I had to simplify it. So I gave them this story. 
and pardon if I've if you've heard it before. This man went hiking, went up this big mountain. And as he got to the top of the mountain, he was looking around and he was saying, wow, what a wonderful creation. It's just amazing. He got three quarters of the way up and then he felt a gust of wind, started seeing some clouds. And then he got a bit further up and then got a bit colder and it started to rain and got really heavy, saw lightning, heard thunder, all the rest of it. And as he was walking past, he noticed this beautiful colony of ants. And he looked at the ants and he goes, wow, you're so pretty, you're so beautiful. And then it started to rain even heavier. Well, he's on a mountain, right? So logically the water's going to run down. So he looks at the ants and says to them, you've got to get back into your home because when that water runs down, you're going to die. And you know what the ants did? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> because they couldn't understand him, right? That's logical, isn't it? You all would have got that punchline for sure. <laughs> Certainly, that's the point. That's the incarnation. That's why Jesus came, because he had to talk to man. He had to see man. He had to show man. He had to explain to man. The only way that man could have communicated to the ants was if he spoke ant. Anyway, that's my interpretation. But anyway, that is the incarnation. Explain for kids. Um, this is the act of grace whereby Christ took our human nature into union with his divine person and became man. Christ is both God and man. What Peter acknowledged, what Peter said was such of great spiritual biblical truth that it's hard to understand that he got other things so badly wrong. Um, Peter the Defender. We read about this in Matthew 16, verse 22. You may know, as they say, from hero to zero in a matter of seconds. That was Peter. Soon after making his wonderful statement about Jesus, that Jesus went on to speak about again how he must go through some things in the near future, including to have including having to go to the cross. In Matthew 21, chapter 21, verse 16, the Bible says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Well, when Peter heard this, his reaction wasn't a very positive one. And in verse 22, his response was, Be it far from thee, Lord. Now remember, this is the man that said, You have the words of eternal life. He wasn't really listening about what Jesus was trying to help him understand, what Jesus was trying to show him. And he goes on to say, This shall not be unto thee. In other words, this shouldn't happen to you. This is not for you. You're, you're making, essentially, a mistake by saying that. Peter did not grasp or simply not grasp what was happening at the time or what Jesus was trying to teach him, but not only him, those around him, the disciples. And Jesus rebuked him strongly where he says, Get behind me, thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offence to me. Now, that was a very harsh statement. And I don't want to really go into the dialogue of that because that's not really the focus. But what I do want to talk about are two reasons why potentially Jesus 
cut Peter down so strongly. One, I believe, was that Jesus was teaching the disciples about his imminent death and how that he would go to the cross, how that he would have to die, how that he would have to suffer. And to have someone else question him on that was quite divisive and unhelpful to the cause of what Jesus had for his disciples. It was imperative that the disciples, who would be the next wave of representatives for the gospel message, understand where it is that their saviour is and went and why he had to die. The gospel is all about what happened to Jesus. If they don't understand this, how are they going to proclaim it? How are they going to teach it? How are they going to understand it themselves and be able to then relate it to other people? This is the good news which they really weren't grasping. The second thing, Peter was casting doubt upon what Jesus was saying and because he was such an influential leader and I believe he had a strong character, he needed to be put into place. When a leader has a goal or an agenda, it is crucial that the whole team is on board with him or her and that that same message be relayed without any confusion. When there is a mixed message from a leader, that creates havoc amongst a group. And as off track as it may sound, for leaders to not have a, a, a united message and a clear direction is counterproductive for those who are following if your message is lost in translation, then you have potentially lost your audience. You know, this is true for a family as well. For mums and dads, if your message is not cohesive and united, whether you agree on that or not, whether you have opinions about that thing or not, is irrelevant. If you do not have a united front in a home, as parents, as a home, you will lose your children with all those things in between. There'll be too many options for them to consider where there's not a clear-cut message about what you as a parent want for your family and where you want that family to go. It's so crucial that there be union and a clear message in any of those dynamics. In Mark 14.31, Peter says, But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. This is the disciples also agreeing, Likewise also said they all. So this was another statement that Peter made around being committed to the cause, about following Jesus and... Um, not being double-minded. And then later, shortly after, in John 18, verse 11, you read about Peter trying to cut off the ear of someone um, because he wanted to defend his saviour. And the Lord Jesus rep re replies, Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink of it? And then later, very soon after that, Jesus tells Peter, all right, Peter, I think it's time. It's time that you learn a lesson and there's something you need to learn. And, you know, all of these events were over a progressive amount of time. 
And Jesus says to him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And I don't think Peter quite understood what was in store for him coming very soon. And this is where we take up the narrative in John chapter 18. So essentially where the, the crux of the message is from. So they're on the way to the palace of the high priest. So Jesus had been bound. He's now taken. He's been taken into this, this room where these very uh, high uh, Jews, these people of great um, authority, and Peter and this unnamed disciple decide to follow to see where Jesus has gone. And they get to the door, Peter feeling quite uncomfortable, knowing that he's in a place that he may be potentially opened up for some kind of interrogation, sits back a little bit while this unnamed disciple, who was very well known to those within the palace and the, the Jewish uh, ranks, um, got an entrance into the door. And then he comes and speaks to one of the ladies at the front of the door and he says, oh, look, I've got my friend here. Can you please let him in? So Peter walks to the door and in John chapter 18, verse 17, he hears this. Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? Meaning Jesus is captured. He's in the palace hall. Peter is trying to walk in and the lady at the door looks at him and thought, thinks, hmm, you look familiar. Are you one of his disciples? Peter replies quite dogmatically, I am not. I am not. I reckon three of the most damning words in the Bible, I am not. What a contrast from the man who was really willing to risk all and step out into a tempestuous sea while a storm was raging, stands now before his saviour, potentially at eye distance, and says, I am not. From the man who pledged his life to follow Jesus, that I will never let you down, I will follow you everywhere that you will ask me to go, I am not, were the words that came out of his mouth. A man that was willing to take up his sword and courage, showed great courage to even against the soldiers that were there to cut off the ear of this other soldier. I am not, he says, I am not. I think the rest of the narrative speaks for itself. We know that Peter denies Jesus on two other occasions. But you know what? I am stuck on this. I am not. I'm stuck at this point and I find it hard to move on. Because it's so definitive, it's so clear from this man who, you know, would give up his life, who was so adamant that he would love his Lord and follow him, and he stands now before this person, this small little lady, and says, or maybe she's big, I don't know, but we don't want to say that, um, I am not, I am not. You know, life is not too dissimilar to this standpoint that we're at right now. Whether you are a Christian or whether you are not a Christian. Um, for you as a Christian, your litmus test around this I am not 
um, is a very simple one, and it's very clear. It, it's, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath life. That is I, an I am, right? That means you are a Christian. If you have trusted, if there's been a point in your life where you realise, you know what, I do bad things, I'm a sinner. Um, these sins offend God. How do I know that? Well, I read that from the Bible or I hear it at church or I heard it when I was growing up or my parents have taught me about this one truth. And you know what? If you've associated that condition, that error, that sin with God, you have made a good step towards the right direction about getting something sorted that only God can fix. So that's a good first step. So you turned to God, you heard his word, you listened to what he had to say, you understood the message, you cried out to him to save you. Can you remember that day, that day where you called upon the name of the Lord, where you asked the Lord Jesus to save you? It's clear in my head. I was on my knees, just wrecked, wrecked, because I knew what kind of a man I was. I was absolutely just wrecked. It was a very beautiful day. And, you know, you're clear about the idea and the truth that he is a perfect sacrificial lamb. You understand that he went to the cross because of your sin, my sin, and he took your place. And you understand that it's clear. You know, he went to Calvary. He suffered. He was crucified. And upon that cross, he suffered for the sins of all men. You understand that. That's what Christians who are saved understand. We get that. And then we get the idea that if we are, then there's this wonderful promise that we have from God that he says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Meaning we have this security that once we have made that decision to get saved, to ask the Lord to come into our hearts, not even God can take that from us. And that's a beautiful thought and a beautiful way to think and live. To know that we are secure because we are his. And there is no greater security. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So, you're a Christian. Your litmus test is not your salvation. It is not your assurance. Because these are terms one must understand at salvation and through our walk with God. Your assurance has nothing to do with your salvation. That's just you not understanding God has said you're saved. Which is completely different. That's another thing. Has nothing to do with our salvation. Rather, as Christians, the problem that we have with the I am not is nothing related to our salvation but these six words that will define whether you are a positive or negative Christian. And it is very simple. If you love me, keep my commandments. That there is the litmus test of the Christian. So when you think of an I am not for us as Christian, has nothing to do with our salvation, has nothing to do with our assurance. It has everything to do with our walk. And Jesus said, the litmus test of that is, if you love me, 
If you love me, keep my commandments. That's all he wants from us. But why is it so hard? It's quite difficult, isn't it? Wow, what a measure. (laughs) What a task. Do you find it arduous to be a Christian? Do you find it difficult to live with all these laws? Do you find it difficult to, you know, live by these rules? Well, that's not how it's supposed to be. They're not supposed to be rules and laws. They're supposed to be commandments that we obey from a God that loves us and knows what's best for us. You know, oftentimes we, I guess, worry about the wrong thing. We worry too much about what people think about us than what God thinks about us. You know, I want to look the part. I want to have a great testimony. But I want a great testimony because I want people to think that I'm nice and that I'm a good Christian rather than I want to have a good testimony because I love Jesus and I want him to shine through me. And we become people focused. And we just worry about what people say and people think. And that's where we go wrong. We will always fail. We will always fail and we will get exhausted because you cannot be that all the time. You cannot flick a switch and say, you know what? It's time to be the happy Christian. It doesn't work. People see through that. They get it. God wants us to be what Jesus is, and that is to be like him. What about for the unbeliever, someone who doesn't know Jesus? What is um, your litmus test? Well, your litmus test is salvation and whether you are God's or not. Your I am not is far, far more dangerous because you are at at the cusp of having to live through something for eternity based on a decision that you can make right now that you cannot change once you're dead. You have a lot at stake. Your I am not can be very dangerous for you if you don't work it out. Tonight, I was hoping to help you see a man, and kind of coming back now to Peter, a man that was zealous, passionate, and willing to go the extra mile for his Lord. But his actions, in many cases, including his words, including the way he did things, the way he carried himself, were quite misguided and misguided. Um, putting things into perspective help people with this picture and we can break it down into three areas. So why does God want to help us in the same way that he helped Peter? Um, Obviously he wants us to be vessels that he can use and God has a process in which he, he, he works through in order to do that. And it's good for us to understand what that is. Well, firstly, why does God want us to change? Well, God is good and he knows what is best for us. 
um, and God created us, we are his, and he made that clear that he has a function for all of us in this life. There is something that he wants us to do in this life. If you ever think to yourself, God's made a mistake. I don't know what he's done. Why am I the way I am? Why is it that I do this? Or what? God has a reason as to why he's made us the way he has. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he said, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, God has created us. He wants something for us to do in this life. And he's going to help us do that. Secondly, God is committed to the task. He's committed to the plan. He's not going to change. He's got a will that he has to accomplish. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he, God, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Christ. Meaning, we have been created by God. We've been created for a function. God is not going to leave us alone to work it out. He's going to be here for us. He's going to help us through it. He's going to teach us what we need to know. And he's going to guide us through it. He's never going to leave our side. And then thirdly, God has a process. And this is not one that we enjoy. And... For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are your bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have fathers of our own flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. So God made us and so God made us so he, we could fulfill something in our lives. Now, I showed you Peter just as an example that he was a man that loved God. He wanted to do good things, misguided, did some rash things and Jesus let him suffer to learn something. It would have broken his heart to know that he's denied his Lord three times that day. He wept. And it hurt. But Jesus had a reason for it. And Jesus allows us sometimes to go through some things that we don't quite understand. We don't get. We're not sure why it's happening. What have I done? Is it sin? Have I done something that I shouldn't have done? And, you know, in some cases it may be both. But he will never, ever, as in, in, in Philippians 1.6, leave us because he wants to work in us. And thirdly, the process is it's going to hurt. We do not get godliness for free. It costs Jesus. It's going to cost us. And I think the sooner that we understand that the process of godliness, the process of Christ-likeness is painful, 
but it is for our good because God knows us and he knows what button to press in order to help us. You know, if you were to go forward to the book of Acts and then you go to chapter 2 and you turn to verse 41, you'll hear these words. Then they that gladly received his word were baptised. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That was Peter. That was the man that was brash and rash and cutting off ears. Maybe he should have been a surgeon. Doing all these other things. And then God captured his heart. And got him heading in the right direction. Going to where he should be. And now guess what? He's not saving these people. He's being the vessel that God wants him to be in order to reach these people. But he went. He obeyed. He listened. He could have said, no, there's too many Jews there. They're going to kill me. But no, he went by faith. A changed man. A man that wanted to honour God. Maybe God has you somewhere on the radar with something in your life. There could be something, whether it's salvation, whether it could be your walk with God, whatever it is, through these mysterious things that you cannot understand, these you know, events in life that you challenge, that you question, that you get angry with. Maybe you're even bitter. I don't know. Whatever the case may be. But submitting to him is the best thing we can do. And that is so hard to do. You know why? Because we need to trust him. We need to say, you know what, Lord, you will sort it out. You can sort it out. I'm choosing not to let you do it because I want to do it myself. And that's where we get stuck. And that's where we go in circles and don't get anywhere in our walk. We stay angry with God. We stay rebellious with God. We don't come to church. We don't want to know anything about him. And then instead of blaming ourselves, it's God's fault. No, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. God loves us and he wants to help us. He wants to guide us through the things that we need to go through in order to be used by him. I pray that tonight you would consider that God is a good God and there may be something that we need to change, whether it's in our Christian life or maybe you're not saved. Maybe you haven't made the most important decision in your life around salvation. There are people here you can talk to. I'm not, we're not going to give you our advice. It's all in there. It's all in the Bible. It's all what God says. I trust that you would come and look to get answers to those questions that you need. Amen. I might ask um, Pastor to come up for our last song.